If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We're going to cover chapters 3 and 4 today. And so, before you get too scared, they're not that long of chapters. And I recently taught one chapter that was, uh, it was more than these two chapters combined, verses-wise. So it's uh, not as scary as that might initially sound. Acts chapter 3. Really, the, the theme of this, this message, we're looking at the witness of the apostles. The witness of the apostles. Jesus had told them that if they would wait for the promise of the Father, that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and that they would be witnesses to Him. Witnesses of the resurrection. In Judea, Samaria, all around the earth, they would go out in great power. And so we saw that. Acts chapter 2, they were waiting in the room and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak with tongues. They went out. Peter preached this glorious sermon. 3,000 people came to Christ. The church was born. And it was a Spirit-filled, holy, dynamic church. And now we're going to see the apostles go out and fulfill that which the Lord said they would. They're going to go out and they're going to be Witnesses, they are going to boldly proclaim the things that they saw, the things that they have experienced, the things that were happening in their midst. They were going to go out and boldly share that with the world. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. That predominantly is what we're going to see happen throughout chapters 3 and 4. And I just wanted to read to you uh, chapter 4, verse 33. I think that's really the thematic verse of this whole uh, scenario here, and it's, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So as I said, that's really the theme of it. So I want to look at it through that lens. And I have told you guys repeatedly that we believe that this is available for us. That we would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and that we are called to be witnesses. We are called to testify to the things that we have seen and that we have heard and that we have experienced, the things that are happening in our lives, in our midst, and we're to be witnesses in our home, in the workplace, in our schools, in our community. Whatever your sphere of influence is, God wants to use you there. He wants you to be a witness. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So this is the witness of the apostles, and as we're working our way through, I want to consider what that looks like in our own lives, what it means for us to be a witness to the truth. So, verse 1, chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. So this is the hour of prayer, one of three... Uh, daily hours of prayer that would happen at the temple. And this would be about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And this beggar is laid at a gate called Beautiful. We don't know for sure, but we think this would have been a very ornate, uh, large door that's located on the eastern side of the Temple Mount that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women. And so uh, we think that is the location of it. And they laid this guy here to, to seek acts of benevolence. 
By this time in, in their history, Judaism had become a very meritorious system. They believed very much in doing good deeds and acts in order to, to earn favor with God and, and others. And so they believed that if they came to the temple, there would be a swell of people that came in to worship the Lord and to give their gifts and that they would be extra generous to them in their need. And so this was a very typical, very common practice. So he's there. The beggar is laying there at the gate and he sees... Peter and John enter in and he looks up at them and he thinks that he's about to receive alms from them. So verse 4, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This is a glorious text. This is such a sweet verse. And, you know, Peter had something far more valuable to give this man than gold and silver. That was what he was expecting. That's what he was hoping for. And he fixes his eyes on Peter, and Peter says, Look, I don't have gold and silver. I have something better. What I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. More valuable, more precious than silver and gold. I want you to understand that. We, as Christians, have something so glorious to offer people. We have what people truly need. We have the one thing that truly saves, the one thing that truly satisfies we have Jesus Christ. And that is more precious, more valuable than any earthly treasure. People think that they have many different needs. If you were to ask most people, they could tell you many things that they count as important or critical or crucial to them. But there's one need. One need above all needs, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand that we have something very special. It's simple, but it's profound and it's the greatest thing. It is a treasure, and we, we guard it. We love the Lord, we love the gospel, and we, we cherish it, but we're to give it out. We are, we are people, beggars who have received bread, and we're, we're looking to give it to other beggars in need. Amen? And so it's really interesting uh, regarding this verse. Uh, later on in the 13th century, I believe it was, there was a, a friar, his name was St. Thomas Aquinas. And he was uh, having a conversation with Pope Innocent II. And they were in this uh, really beautiful building and they're walking around and it was magnificent. And the Pope looked around and said, No longer can we say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas looked at him and said, Yes, this is true. And no longer can we say in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. They had replaced the simplicity of the gospel and the power of God with with riches. You know, some people really seek to rely on their resources and their own energy, their own strength, and they get away from the simple power of the gospel. And Paul said, you know, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I had. That's all I had to offer. That's all I want to know. And so I love that little story, and, and Thomas Aquinas brings it back. It's not about wealth. It's not about resources, riches, silver and gold. It's about the power of the name of Jesus Christ and the simplicity of that. You know, there's another story I've heard a number of times. There was a, a Chinese Christian who came to America to, to see the American church. 
and he went around and saw the, the churches and all that the, the church was doing here. And as he was getting ready to head back, they asked him, so, so what did you think about what he saw, what you saw? And he said, what amazed me the most was what the church was able to do without the Holy Spirit. And that's sobering. And that is, that is true. Much of the church today is doing a lot in their own power, in their own strength, with their own clever, slick ideas, with their own resources and marketing strategies and all the hype that comes along with it. And you see the, the, explos- the explosive numbers and, and all that's happening there. But it may very well be that the Holy Spirit is nowhere to be found in that. And that's something that we have to be so very careful about. We exalt the name of Jesus. We are Jesus' people. And apart from Him and His Spirit, there is no fruit. There is no power. Right? So when it comes to being a witness, we recognize that is necessary. It's all about Jesus. We have the greatest thing in the world. We have the very thing that everyone needs. And we need to, to remember that. It's all about Jesus. Alright, well now the people are amazed. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness... We made this man walk. So the people knew who this guy was. They had seen him there for years probably. And it was very obvious that this was legitimate. It was a notable miracle. They talk about that more as we get into the text. But they were amazed at what took place. And Peter said, why are you looking at us as though this was our power or our godliness? Peter refuses to receive the glory. He points it back to Jesus. And this is another thing when it comes to witnessing. So often uh, we can make it all about us. Or we can make it all about everything but Jesus. And sometimes you hear people's testimonies and it's really a lot more of an impressimony. You know, it's all about them and, and how crazy and wild they were and how great and awesome they are now. And you don't really find Jesus anywhere in the midst of that. But Peter said, don't look at me, don't look at us. This has nothing to do with our power or our godliness. He points it back to Jesus. And that's what it's all about, guys. We want to live lives where, where we reflect Christ. When we talk about giving glory to God, we, we reflect Him to the world. We would hope that when people see us, they see Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But you notice that was Peter, what Peter was all about here. It's all about Jesus still. So now with that, Peter's going to launch off into this, uh, this sermon. And I'm not going to dig too deep into this because we could really get sidetracked and spend a lot of time on it, maybe another day, but not today. Uh, so let's look at it, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. 
Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets that the Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Alright, so there's a lot in those verses. And it's really interesting to me to note, Peter gives a very detailed account, really, of the Gospel message. And he starts, he's addressing the, the men of Israel. He's addressing the Jews. And he starts with God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant, Jesus. So he goes from God to Jesus. And then he talks about Pilate. He was denied. He was delivered up in the presence of Pilate. Pilate wanted to let him go. But you refused, and instead you asked for a murderer. Speaking of Barabbas. What's interesting to me, I think this is important because he's dealing with literal historical figures. This was not some spiritualized kind of deal. It really literally happened in history with literal uh, historical people. And Peter recounts this. And he said that you denied the Holy One. Peter puts their sin back on them. Okay, he, They are accountable for their transgression. He said, but God raised Him from the dead. That is crucial to the Christian faith. When it comes to witnessing and sharing with people, the resurrection is so important, guys. That, uh, that is what sets everything apart about us. Our God came down to save us because we could not save ourselves. So He sent His Son, the Son of God, Jesus, to this earth to take the form of a man, of a human, to step into humanity, to live the life that we could not live, to live the perfect life, a sinless life. But then He was rejected by the very people that He came to save. And He was delivered over and He was crucified. But it didn't stop there. He rose again from the grave, victorious over sin and death. See, if He were a sinful man, He would have just died and that would have been it. But He was truly sinless. And God accepted His sacrifice. And that has been proven to us in that the, the grave could not hold Him. And God raised Him from the dead. And Christ rose on the third day. And all of this was foretold in the Scriptures from the mouth of the prophets. It has been fulfilled. Just as Peter points that out, we see prophecies in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, etc., where it talked about these very things. These things would happen. And they did happen. And guys, this is the Gospel message. Peter is all about the Gospel here. He gives them the historical facts. He points to the Scriptures. He says, thus was fulfilled as it has been said by the prophets, by the the mouth of God, that Jesus was betrayed, He was killed, He rose again from the grave, and the faith that this man had in Christ made Him whole, according to Peter. And so that's what it has. That's, that's where we come into the picture, guys. Faith in Christ. Faith in His name. Faith in His work. If you put your trust in Him, the finished work of the cross, and you surrender your life to Him, you will be saved. Because the bad news is we are separated from God. We are dead in our trespass and sins. We all know that we are sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that God sent His Son to die for us so that if we believe in Him, we would be born again and we would have everlasting life and we would live with Him forever in glory and worship Him in the splendor of His holiness. Hallelujah. Amen. That is glorious. That is the Gospel. That is what Peter preached. And he said it was that that makes this man whole in front of you today. It was that. It was not me. It was not my godliness, not my power. It was Jesus, and it was faith in Him that has made this man 
whole. And I can say that faith in Christ has made this man whole. And faith in Christ has made many people in this room whole. And some of you in here don't know Him. Some of you are hurting. You're broken. You're empty. You're lost. You're dead in your trespass and sin. But you can know Christ today. You can put your trust and your faith in Him and you can be made whole. You can be given a hope and a future. You can have eternal life and no longer be under the weight the, the weight of condemnation and hell, eternal separation from God. And that was what Peter was all about. He preached the Gospel. Well, he's, gonna, he's going to exhort the people. Verse 19, he says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. So Peter says, repent. Repent and be converted. That is, turn away from your sin. Turn away from that old life and turn to God. So often in Christianity, we think it's just stop doing what you used to do. It's so much more than that. It's turn from those things and turn to God. Run into His arms. Now you live for the Lord. You live for God. And it says, be converted. That is, be born again. doesn't mean just stop doing what you used to do and start doing good things. No, you must be born again. You must have the Holy Spirit within you. You must be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Repent and be converted and your sins will be blotted out. Your sins are gone forever. They are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered again. God says, I distinctly remember forgetting that. You understand? Our sins are washed away. Peter says, there will be times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord until the restoration of all things. And that is so true. We experience that as Christians. We, we experience, that's one of the glories of the Christian life. I'm not just saved for eternity. I have God here and now. I have the Holy Spirit in me now. I get to know and worship the Lord and serve Him now. And we are refreshed in His presence. But then we have the hope of of the future there, because really that's what these verses are talking about. It's speaking of, of the millennial reign of Christ when He returns back to the earth and He sets things straight. And uh, yeah, like, like I said, it says that times of refreshing may come from His, His presence. He may send Jesus Christ to you. So it's speaking of His, His return and when He restores all things. Alright, so moving on. And I just want to really uh, graze over this. Verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God has made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you 
from your iniquities. So what Peter is basically doing here is saying, this is not just my word, this is words that have been spoken throughout all of the Old Testament. He refers back to Moses. Moses prophesies in Deuteronomy, speaking of the, the prophet who would come, and that is a reference to the Messiah. And then Peter uh, references Samuel, and uh, without any doubt, he's speaking of David, and David was, uh, through him would come Christ, his line, the Davidic uh, line of uh, the greater David who would come from King David. And then he references this verse here about Abraham that in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's Genesis. So Peter is basically validating what he's saying with Old Testament prophecy. And he speaks of Samuel, David, Abraham, uh, Moses, and so that, that's, that's essentially what, he, what he's saying. It gets a little confusing. We could spend a lot of time just really working that out, but that, that's ultimately, ultimately what he's doing here. He's backing what he's saying with the Word of God. Well, let's move into chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put, in custody, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So now the religious leaders show up. We're still here at the temple. This, uh, the miracle has happened. The healing has taken place. The people were amazed. Peter starts preaching, he's pointing them to Christ, and now the religious rulers show up, and they are not happy. They are very disturbed. We're told it's the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. And this makes sense that they would show up first. They're at the temple, so obviously the priests are there in full force, but then there are the temple police. These are the ones who are there to really enforce the law and kind of keep things calm and cool. And we've seen them before in the Scriptures. They were actually sent to arrest Jesus at one point, and they couldn't do it. They were so dumbfounded, really, by the wisdom of Jesus. They, they didn't know what to say. And the Sadducees are here. And I've talked about the Sadducees before. Uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees is really the difference between these two groups. The Sadducees were much more political. They were much more aristocratic. They really didn't believe literally in miracles and the afterlife, any of that. They only held to the first five books of the law as authoritative. They didn't hold to any of the, the traditions or the oral laws that the Pharisees would constantly champion, the rabbinical writings and traditions. They didn't believe in any of that. And so they were the ones at this time that were really in charge of the temple. And so they were there with the priest and, and with the captain of the temple, the, the temple police. And they roll in and they're very disturbed that they're here preaching. They thought they got rid of, of Jesus. They thought that they got Him, you know, He was crucified, He's gone, His, his sheep, they, they scattered, they're gone. But here they are back in the temple and they're still preaching the resurrection. They could not stop this. So they laid hands on them and they arrested them. They put them in custody and they held them there till the next day. But it was too late. The word had already gone forth. Now 5,000 people. We have 5,000 believers in Christ. The number had grown to about 5,000. So God's word had its effect. Well, verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day 
that their rulers, the elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Okay, so now the whole crowd is there. The rulers, the elders, the scribes. This is most likely a reference to the Sanhedrin. So this was like the Jewish Supreme Court, the High Court. There were 71 members, including the high priest. And Annas and Caiaphas are here. Annas was the high priest originally. Then his son-in-law became the high priest after him. These were the people who were really up to ultimately Jesus being crucified. They were the ones that had him arrested. They were the ones that took him through the, the initial trials the night before Jesus was ultimately crucified. And so these are very dangerous men. They had already had Jesus killed. And you remember the, the disciples had scattered when that happened, but now they've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They've received power, and now they're back in front of this same crowd that ultimately had Jesus crucified. And we see the boldness with which they speak. Now the, the rulers want to know, by what authority are you doing this? In what name? Now that's interesting when we hear that. What, what's that by what name? Maybe you've heard someone say, stop in the name of the law. Have you ever heard that, that phrase? And the idea is there, I have no authority. The police officer himself, the only authority he has is that authority that has been given to him by the law. Okay? The law of our, our state, our government, they, they function in accordance to that. And so that's ultimately what they're saying. By what authority, by what power, by what right do you do these things? And so Peter is all too happy to, to answer that question. So, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So notice Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes off. And that is so important for us. And that's why I have said repeatedly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we pray that, that God would baptize us with His Holy Spirit and that we would regularly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I know that if we're all honest with ourselves, we know we need that. We need the Lord. We need His Spirit. We can't do it without Him. And we see the radical difference in Peter's life. But Peter, being filled with the Spirit, stands up and speaks to the rulers of the people. And he speaks boldly to them. He says, you want to know what name I did this in? I did it in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. Imagine that. You know, he ran scared the night when Jesus was, was uh, arrested, but now he's back in front of these same people, all eyes are on him, and he very aggressively confronts them with the fact that they murdered the Holy One. They crucified Jesus, the Son of God. And he says, "...the stone which was rejected..." by the builders has become the chief cornerstone. He's quoting Psalm 118.22. Peter really loved that, that verse. He quotes it also in, in 1 Peter. 
And he's speaking of Jesus really is the foundational stone, the stone that the rest of the building is absolutely set on, the chief stone you, the builders, have rejected. And now he has become the chief cornerstone. And there is no other name. Get this, guys. I love this verse. And there is salvation in any other. There is none. There is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that doesn't get any more clear than that. There are a lot of verses in the Bible where we can say, well, I'm not really sure what that means. There are kind of some gray areas, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree on certain areas and still have fellowship as Christians. But there are certain things that are just as clear as can be, and this is one of them. Peter unapologetically says that there is salvation in no other. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, I'll be very honest with you. This is a very offensive statement to many. It's a very exclusive uh, statement. There's only one way. There's no other name. But it's a very explicit statement. There's no question here in what he's saying. And Jesus said it Himself that He is the way, the truth, and the life and no one can come to the Father but by Him. And so you have to come through Jesus. If you want the Father, you have to have the Son. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. And there is no other way. If you think you're a good person, that doesn't get it. Your good deeds will not get you there. Buddha doesn't save. Allah doesn't save. I've said this over and over. No other religion saves. Only Christ and faith in His name will save you and make you whole. And Peter boldly proclaims this. And so I just want to say that again. Put your faith, put your trust in Christ if you don't know Him. And this is what we want to share with other people. Uh, we live in a place that in a lot of ways is it's super secular, but it's also quite spiritual. But it's the wrong kind of spiritual. And I've heard a lot of people who gladly talk about God, but they're not talking about the God. They're not talking about the one and true living God. And I especially know this because they don't believe in His Son, whom He has sent. They've rejected the Son. So they don't really have the Father. And so there is no other way. You must put your faith and your trust in Him and He alone. Well, the leaders are perplexed by this. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no more in this name. So that was the best they could come up with. We can't deny what has happened here is very legitimate. So let's just threaten them. You know? And what I love about this is they say, you know, they see the boldness of Peter and John. They perceive that they are uneducated and untrained men. The word untrained there is idiotes. And so, basically, it's the word idiot. It's the word that we get, idiot. And they're like, okay, these guys are uneducated, they are untrained, they are idiots. But they see the boldness and they realize these men have been with Jesus. I mean, that's got to be one of the greatest compliments that a Christian could receive. Man, that person has been with Jesus. That person knows the Lord. That person loves the Lord. That person looks like the Lord. 
And I've, I've talked about this before. There's a handful of people, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about that. You know, being with this person for this time, it was like the closest thing I've ever experienced to walking with Jesus. And that's an incredible thing to even consider. Um, but that's ultimately what it's all about, guys. When people look at you, can they say that person has been with Jesus? And we all fall short and we know this. I think when we hear that, we may cringe a little bit in our seats. But we have, to, we have to be in His presence. You know, are you with Jesus? Are you spending time with the Lord? And I, I mean, I'm convicted even as, as I say these things. I think about my, myself. It's so easy for me to think that I'm in the Word like crazy because I'm constantly studying to teach. But am I just in the Word? Are you just in the Word, sitting at Jesus' feet, in His presence, being transformed from glory to glory as we are sitting there worshiping Him, meeting with Him, crying out to Him, hearing from Him. Have you been with Jesus? And can people tell it when they, when they see you? I mean, there are certainly times when people can look at me and think, man, I don't even know if that guy knows Jesus. You know? And so I know you know what I'm talking about. All right? It ain't just me in here. All right? We we've, have all been there. And so uh, that is what we're aiming for. And so... Education or not, you know your Bible from front to back, you can argue all the arguments, you can, you can do all of that, that's great, but do people see Christ when they see you? That's where the, the power comes through. If a person is filled with the Spirit and they are changed by God and you are dealing with people, they know that. They know when they're dealing with somebody who is filled with the Spirit, who has been with Jesus. And they said a notable miracle has been done here. And they can't deny it. You know, people may try, try as they may, you can't deny the fruit. And people who knew me, I think oftentimes when I talk to people about who I used to be or what I was like, occasionally I'll have people say, it's so hard for me to picture that. I, I can't even see that. But people who knew me back then, they would tell you I'm a totally different person and that is undeniable. You can't argue that. You know, I'm not the guy that I wish I was. I'm sure you've heard this line a million times. But I'm not the guy that I used to be. And that is all to the glory of God. And so people can't argue that. Try as they may. Alright, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge... For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. So they tried to threaten Peter and tell him not to teach in this name anymore. But Peter said, you know what? Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, more than God, you judge. But we can't help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. It was more important to Peter to do what was right in God's eyes. I want you to think about that. Take that in. That's very important for us as Christians. It's more important that we fear God, not man. And it's very easy to be fearful of man. In fact, it's really interesting when you, if you ever come to face-to-face -face with how much we actually do out of the fear of man, how much our, our thoughts, our actions are really motivated by what people think, what people feel, or what they might perceive. 
And uh, really, I think many of us may really be enslaved to that. And so I would encourage you to even pray and ask the Lord to help you see that and, 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 and consider yourself in this. But we cannot be fearful of men. We have to do what is right in God's sight. And that is to speak the truth, to share the truth with others. And uh, they were absolutely compelled to do this. There was no other option. You know, Jeremiah said, I tried to stop, but it was like a fire in my bones. He could not keep quiet. And guys, that's a responsibility. This is a responsibility for all of us who have named the name of Christ to talk about Christ to other people, to share Christ with people that are in our sphere of influence. I used that word earlier. And you know, when I used to work out in the secular field, it was so much easier to do that. And I worked night shift oftentimes, and I would be in there with just a handful of guys in the middle of the night, and there were a couple times where I got to just really preach the gospel right there in the middle of the factory. And, and uh, you know, I really freaked some guys out. And it was sweet, you know. It was such a cool opportunity. And it's harder for me nowadays. I'm in a, in a Jesus bubble, as they say. But you guys, you're out there, and you're able to rub elbows with people and talk to people I'll never get to talk to. And so we are a team as a church. I'm not the professional minister here and you guys just show up and listen and then go about your business. We are on mission together here in Napa. And so we are all doing the work of ministry together. And that's why you all got one of those cards when you came in the door. We just made those up recently. And so they're just invitation cards. And so we want to, this is your assignment this week. I'm giving you guys some homework. Give the card away this week. It can be to someone that you know really well and love. If, if you're very afraid or intimidated, it can be to a stranger. It can be to a, a co-worker. But I'm just telling you guys, it's a very non-threatening way to go about engaging someone else. Because we love to learn the, the Word of God and we love even to live the Word of God. But we always kind of stop short there and we don't really share the Word of God. And if we're not sharing our lives, if we're not sharing what we love, if we're not sharing what we know and have seen and have heard, then we're stopping short. We're not walking in the, the fullness of it. So I just wanted to start by making it very simple for you guys, give you guys just one card. If everyone in this room gives away one in, invite to church, you know, you consider how many would go out as opposed to me trying to go out and do it on my own. And you only have to do it once. And it's not all about just getting people in church, guys, but it's a good start because the gospel message goes forth from this pulpit. And if you bring someone here, you know they're going to hear the gospel. You know they're going to come face to face with the message. You know that the Holy Spirit is going to convict that person when they are in this room. And that's what it's all about. We're on mission together. And we are trying to serve the Lord and be about His kingdom. And it's not just me and the other pastors and elders or volunteers. It's all of us. We're all on mission together. So that's my assignment to you guys. I hope you do it. And for some of you, you may want to give out more than one. There's more out on the table out there. Feel free to do it. Give as many away as you will. We're going to make more. We'll have some with gospel tracks on them. For some of you who even want to get a little more bold and try to use it as an opportunity to segue into sharing the gospel. Hey, do you go to a church? I want to invite you to church. Hey, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, it says here, boom, boom, boom. There you go. You can get into the gospel just like that. So, you know, we want to be a church that is about teaching the Word of God and living the Word of God, but we also want to be a church that is sharing God, sharing Christ. Amen? That's what it's all about. Peter said we can't help but do that. We can't do anything but that. Threaten as much as you want to. We can't stop. So verse 23 
And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God, who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of Your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So there's a lot there. Let me just say this. First off, they were let go. They went back to their their brothers and sisters in Christ, told them what had happened. What do they do? First thing, they pray. They turn it their attention to the Lord. They didn't complain about it. They didn't, you know, cry about it. They went straight to the Lord. And they acknowledged God. They said, Lord, You are God. I love that. They acknowledged that God is all-powerful here. That the, the difficulties that they have experienced thus far, that God allowed it. He is God. He is sovereign over all. But that God will also give them the ability to stay the course and stay faithful regardless. Regardless. And they prayed Scripture. When they were praying to God, they referenced David, they referenced Scripture, and that's important for us as Christians, guys. When you pray, you know how to pray the will of God. You can pray the Word of God. And when it comes to being a witness for Christ, we can pray Scripture because we know that the Lord has said that we should go out and make disciples, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He said He would be with us always to the end of the age. That's the promise, guys. The Lord would be with us when we are out making disciples. And so we can pray that. Lord, You said that I should do this. You said that You would be with me. And so I'm crying out, Lord, You are God. You are sovereign over all. Help me. Give me boldness. And that's exactly what they prayed. So look at this. Uh, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So they didn't pray, Lord, don't let any hardship fall on us. Lord, make this easy on us. God, take away the persecution. They didn't pray that. They said, Lord, give us the boldness to speak Your Word. And the Lord honored that. They prayed for ability. It says that the place where they, they were, it, uh, began to shake, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the outcome? They spoke with boldness. And so here in a few minutes, when I wrap up, we're going we're gonna to close with a song, and I have been giving you guys invitations each week to come up for prayer. And I want you to know you can come up today and you can pray for boldness. You can, we can pray over you and pray that you would be filled with the Spirit and that you would have the boldness to go out this week and to be a witness, to be a witness in your home, the community, your work, uh, school, wherever, and so that you can, Im- you can invite somebody, you can give the card away, you can have a gospel conversation with somebody. We'll pray for you for that. That was their prayer. They prayed for boldness, and God honored that. The place shook, they were filled with the Spirit, and they, pr- they spoke with boldness. So we'll close here, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, 
but they had all things in common. And there's that verse. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So there was this unusual commonality amongst the people. Nothing belonged. You know, one of the first words that we learn is, this is mine. Right? And I'm sure many of us have seen that. That's what comes naturally. But the people said, this is not mine. Everybody saw what was theirs. It was God's and they gave it to anyone who had a need in the church. The church took care of each other. And I have no doubt that this was a witness. This was a witness. The world sees that and thinks that is not normal. You know, the world is living to accumulate treasure here on earth. He who dies with the most toys wins, right? And so the Christians were totally different than that. They sold what they had so that they could care for the needs of others. This is, I'm not saying that this is the way we're all supposed to function, okay? That's not what this is saying. This is not uh, prescriptive, it's descriptive. But it is awfully consistent with what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, right? And so I would never say that God is telling everyone in here, sell everything that you own. But conversely, He may be telling somebody in here that. He may be saying, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and follow me. And He may be calling you out somewhere to serve Him. And we've seen that happen in this church. It happens here. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, Nor were there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This becomes much more relevant in chapter 4. And so I won't go deep into that now. But we'll just close on that note right there. The church, God was using them. The apostles were witnessing and power. Grace was upon them. Everyone was selling what they had to care for each other. As I said, undoubtedly, this was a powerful witness. And so that's my exhortation to us. That's my encouragement to us all. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Make sure that you know the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. There may be someone in here who does not know the Lord. And you want to know the Lord. You want to surrender your life to Christ. I want to encourage you when we have people up here, come forward and pray. We will lead you in that. We will lead you to the Lord. Some of you know the Lord, but you want to go the next step. You really want to start serving the Lord. You want to be used of God. You want to be a witness. I want to encourage you to come up here. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you to have boldness and that grace would be upon you and that you could be a witness. And there are many other needs in this room. Some of you in here, you're broken hearted. You don't know how you're going to make it another day. And you need love. You need encouragement. I want to encourage you. Come up. We'll pray for you. And there are so many needs. And so we'll close with that. And I want to have the worship team come up at this time. Well, let me pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your kindness. We bless Your holy name, Lord. And we want to be used by You. We want to share with others what we have received. We don't want to keep it all to ourselves. So help us, Lord, this week to know how to do that and to be able to do it in Your power. And may Your grace be upon us all. We love You and we thank You, Jesus, in Your name. Amen.